All right, let's do it. So today we're going to talk about the Christianese word. If you grew up in church, you'll know this word, ecclesiology. Everybody say ecclesiology, right? Ecclesiology just means the study of the church. We get that word from in the New Testament. New Testament was written predominantly in Greek, like you Bible scholars know that. But the word for church in the New Testament is ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. And ecclesia literally is defined as a movement of people, specifically in the word of God, like a movement of God's And so today we are studying the church in this summer serve series, and we're going to land on what it looks like to really serve in the church and as the church. But but I want to start by just understanding the church is the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the movement of God's people. And I want to be abundantly clear. Redeemer City Church and every single church, the capital C church and the lowercase micro church that we see in every city, is not a building. It's never been a building, and it will never be a building. The church, Christ's bride that he's coming back for, is a group of people that agree that Jesus is king. He rose from the grave. And whether they're in a building or under a tree or in a living room, it's when God's people gather together for his praise and his purposes. Amen. And you are not a church unless you are on the move for God's kingdom. And so today what I want to look at is is I want to use a simple illustration, a table, to talk about ecclesiology, to talk about what it looks like for a healthy church to function, in my opinion, if Mitch disagrees, he'll come up here and tell you at the end of the service or next week. Like he said, I get to be the fun uncle. I get to like drop in and just say stuff and then like, y'all deal with God, fun. Um, but today we're just going to jump in that w- with this premise of the table. And you may be asking, like, what does a table have to do with it? The, the, the table, the word table is mentioned 72 times in Scripture. Yeah, I went through and counted everyone. No, just good. But um, 72 times in Scripture, the table is mentioned. Back in the Old Testament, there was the table of shewbread, temple. It goes all the way back to when they first built the temple. There was the table of shewbread, and the bread represented the presence of God. You fast forward, one of my favorite passages about the table is in Psalms. The poet David writes that God will set a table for you in the presence of your enemy. That's insane. That's a whole nother message, but it does strike the question, who are you inviting to your table? Your enemies have say, ah, that's another sermon. Y'all should. But you just fast forward. Like Jesus would often gather his followers and his disciples around a table representing when the saints, when God's people come together. He did a lot of his greatest teachings around the table. Even in Revelation, not Revelations, it's only one Revelation. Even in Revelation, We all see that at the end of time, God gathers us around the banqueting table for the eternal feast with the king. That's going to be some good food. Can I get an amen? All right. Sorry. I grew up Southern Baptist. If it ain't food, it ain't church. And that's biblical. But but as I think about like the table and all through scripture and how it's this place when God's people and his saints gather together to experience the presence of God and the purposes of God live throughout them. I think about Jesus himself. Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 35 says this. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread. Anybody like bread? Any carb eaters? Anybody? Anybody anti-carbs, Atkins diet? Yeah, that's the devil. That's the devil, Jerome. I'm sorry, he's pointing at you. I'm just kidding. He was pointing at you. (laughs) Jesus is the bread. If you don't like bread, I'm sorry. No, um, Jesus says he's the bread. And then later in scripture, it says that, God's word itself self-defines as meat. So if Jesus is the bread, 
and the word of God is the meat, then it's our job as the house of God, as the, as the people of God, to serve up the meat and the bread. That's one of the primary purposes of the gathering of the church, to serve up the meat and the bread, Jesus and his word, the holy hamburger of faith in the righteous restaurant that is Redeemer. Amen? I'm trying to help you guys remember, why are we the church? To serve up the holy hamburger of faith, Jesus and his word, the meat and the bread. That's what we're all about at Water's Edge, and I guarantee you that's what Redeemer is all about, Jesus and his word, because through Jesus and his word, man, lives get changed. And, and so as we jump into kind of this analogy today, this metaphor, I want you to think of Redeemer as this table. And our job at this table is to serve up Jesus and his word. And, and so that kind of brings me to who ooh, I'm going to break something today. That kind of brings me to who belongs at the table. You ever think about like what is a church? How is a church supposed to function and why do we do what we do the way we do it? And I thought this would be a fun weekend to kind of break down that as we're in this summer serve series and as we're trying to catapult into a new building and all that. I think it kind of helps us to go, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. So, so as I look at these chairs around the table, I think the first chair I want to talk about is like the, um, the, the teacher leader chair. Um, this would be the person that prepares the meal at the table. The, the person that puts together the Jesus and, and his word, the, the, the sermon, this would be like the preacher leader chair. So this was Jerome last weekend. This was his, his chair. You did a great job, by the way. I watched your message yesterday. That was fire. If you missed it, punch yourself in the face. Um, you, you should. Nah, don't do that again. Watch it every Sunday. It's amazing. You'll grow. But this is Mitch when, when he prepares a sermon. This is me today. If you're in a, a small group or a community group, when you lead your group, this is you. This is whoever gets to prepare the meat and the bread, Jesus and his word, to kind of curate the spiritual meal for the table. And I could go on and on about this chair, but here's, here's just what I would say in short. At all of our Water's Edge churches and here at Redeemer, we take this chair very seriously. We do. Like, have you ever, have you ever been to a restaurant and the meal was like undercooked or it was sloppy or it didn't taste good? Anybody ever been to a restaurant like that? Did you want to go back? I would hope not, unless you were, like, going to go help them or something. But let's make it practical. You ever been to a church, and it feels like the meal was undercooked? Feel like they didn't put a lot of time and effort into it? Feel like it was haphazardly done? It's interesting sometimes that, like, we'll, we'll, like, bash a restaurant, but when it comes to church and spirituality, we'll, like, just cover it with grace and mercy. But if we have the greatest story ever given, it probably deserves the greatest presentation ever, Right? And I say that we take this seriously. I, I, like Mitch said, I, I get to pastor a church in Kingston, Jamaica. And about eight years ago, I was brought down to preach at an event in Kingston. And afterwards, they, they got a table out and they put about nine or ten Kingston, Kingstonian pastors around the table and me. And it was just like a roundtable discussion. And they were asking me like about church growth and things like that. And it was great. And I was asking them questions and we were learning from each other. But I, I busted out this illustration because I was trying to help them understand why we do what we do the way we do it. And I started talking about this chair and preparing the meal, preparing the message. And, and, and I don't know if you know this, like a good sermon takes like minimum 10 hours, more like 20 to 30 hours a week. And some of you have like multiple jobs or leading multiple things. And in a church plant, everybody's doing everything. But it takes a lot of time to prepare a good message. But I told them, yeah, yeah I, I put the prep into the message. I do the research. And then I said, I practice the message. And these Jamaican pastors, one of them goes, what do you mean practice? And I was like, well, before we preach to a room full of people, we preach to empty rooms multiple times. 
We practice the, the message. And, and then, I, I, for me, Mitch, I don't know if you do this, but I would highly recommend it. I'm sure you guys have done it. Actually, I know you've done it. Um, after I preach a message, on Monday morning, I pull it up and I watch myself preach the message. I don't know if any of you have ever tried public speaking. It's awful. But you want to know one of the worst things on the planet is watch yourself do public speaking. You know, the reason I use a handheld microphone is because the first time I ever preached back when I was like 21, 22 years old, they put one of those Britney Spears mics on me, the Garth Brooks mic that Mitch has, you know, it's like, you look really cool. And I look like I was waving in a plane the whole sermon. I was just like, I look like Chris Farley, like an SNL, like, and so the next time I was like, I don't want to look like that. So give me this. But it was evaluation. You know where I got that from? I grew up in high school playing sports, and I remember in high school football, we would practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then we'd go and sweat and bleed and get concussed on Friday. And then on Saturday, I've had five concussions. I don't know. Y'all be able to tell by the end of this sermon. But um, I'm sorry. We shouldn't joke about that. But it's true. Um, But Saturday morning, the varsity team, we'd show up at 7 a.m., not required, and we'd get out the projector, and we would watch game film. And it was excruciating because I remember the coach would be like, I was wide receiver. And he'd be like, Castle, you see where you messed up there? You know, you, you cut the route off short and then you weren't in the right time. And I'd be like, yes, sir. And then they would rewind it in front of the whole team. And then he'd be like, see where you missed that pass? I'd be like, yes, sir. And then they'd rewind it in front of the whole team again. And like three, four, five times, a bunch of 17 and 8-year-olds would watch ourselves make mistake after mistake after mistake. Then we'd go and practice it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, just so we could throw around a dead pig on Friday with no eternal consequence. How much more? When the Bible says that men and women are saved by the foolishness of preaching, how much more should we be putting practice and evaluation into the type of meal we are preparing day in and day out for the church? And again, I could go on and on and on. But, man, we take this chair so seriously. But let me just press in on that for a second. Do you all mind? Y'all cool with it? I like participation. Can't tell if, I don't know if, I believe preaching is best when it's a dialogue, not a monologue. And you ignite your heart and your mind when you respond verbally. And at minimum, you wake the person up next to you. So do that for me. But we are all actually called to sit in this chair. Some of you are like, whoa, I ain't been to seminary, bro. Chill out. I ain't a pastor. I ain't ordained. By the way, ordained's only in the Bible once, and it was so people would go kill people. Ordination is more something that, like, we just threw out there. But um, anyways, so, like, I ordain you all today. Uh, <laughs> no, but it, it's serious. I believe in it. But, but the Bible says in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what does it say? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. If you are a Christ follower... When you get to gather with God's people, at some point or another, it is all of our opportunity and honor to share whatever God has done in our lives with anyone at our tables. We are all called to get. Now, I'm not saying you got to watch game film of your small group. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we all get this opportunity. Man, I could keep going on and on. But he said I only have three hours to preach. So we're going to keep moving. Um, (laughs) That was the worst laugh ever. Some of you are like, is he serious? Like, he's got to know. No, don't worry. I know y'all would all just walk out. So, so that's the teacher leader chair. This is the chef chair, kind of wears the chef hat every Sunday. Different people up here. This is also the worship team, whoever crafts and makes that experience. And again, I could go on and on about it, but we'll come back to it. So that takes us to chair number one. Everybody say number one. Oh, come on. First off, y'all have more rhythm than that in Tampa. That was awful. It was like, blah, 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 blah. everybody say number one. number one. Nice. That was good. Chair number one at a healthy church, in my opinion is the non-believer chair. This is the unsaved person. 
This is the seat for the atheist, the Buddhist, all the ist get to sit in this chair. The agnostic, the person living the alternative lifestyle that you don't agree with. This is the chair for the unsaved non-believer. Chair number one. Everybody say number one. I believe that every healthy church should have people in this chair. Should have people that don't know Jesus coming to check Jesus out with people that do know Jesus. Why do I say that? Because what was Jesus' whole message? Message. He said, I came to seek and save the chair number ones, the lost. And if Jesus' whole message and mission was to bring the kingdom and seek and save the lost, then what should his bride, his people be about? Seeking and saving the lost. This is one of those things, like as we talk about reaching Tampa, as we talk about changing the world, it kind of begs the question, like, do we have chair number one friends? Do we have chair number one people in our lives? Some of you are like, yes, my whole family, right? And that's awesome. Like, but Redeemer exists so that people that sit in this chair feel welcome and can come in. And can I just say this? If you're watching online right now or you're here and you're just checking this whole God thing out, like, first off, we respect you so much for having the courage and bravery to come and check out a church, whether you're online or here in person. On top of that, I would say, like, you're a highly intelligent person if you're checking this God thing out. Because that means you care about, is there life after death? What really? It means you care about the deep things in life, and you're humble enough to ask questions and put yourself in uncomfortable situations. And I just want you to know that at Redeemer, at all of our Water's Edge churches, like, if you are in this chair, you are 100% always welcome at this church. And I'll go a step further, and I think I can speak on the behalf of you, Mitch, but... um. In this case, a lot of churches kind of get this chair wrong. We, we, we think it's like um, you, if you believe what we believe and you behave the right way, then you can belong. You know what I mean? Like if you dress the right way and you say the right words and you behave, then you come in. And then if you believe what we believe, then you can belong. Can I just say that I think that's completely backwards from the way Jesus did it? I would say at all of our churches, it's more of a place that no matter what you believe, you can always belong. And it, in belonging with the Redeemer family, in belonging with his people, then hopefully you will get more and more of the meat and the bread. You will get more and more of Jesus and his word. And at some point, the foolishness of preaching will trigger something eternally in your soul. And you will go from death to life, which we'll talk about that in a second. And, and then you go from belonging to believing. And then after believing, you get the Holy Spirit and he does behavior modification. That is not our job. Amen. Come on, that'll preach. That's good. That's a Billy Graham rip right there. But it's true. It's true. And and so I just I want to reiterate, like every healthy church should have non-believing, unsaved people feeling welcome to gather with us every single Sunday. And I believe Redeemer is that kind of space. Every time I've been here, I've just felt it. It's like everybody's welcome, no matter what you believe. And, And so that's chair number one. Everybody say number one. And then something amazing happens. You go from chair number one to chair number two. Everybody say number two. So if chair number one is the non-believer, chair number two at a healthy church would be the new believer, right? And this is everything. Like this journey right here, this is literally death to life, hopeless to hopeful, pain to purpose. This is a small distance in front of us, but this is an eternal gap that only Jesus can bridge. And it asks the question, I don't know if you've ever like asked, like, how does someone go from chair number one to chair number two? 
We think about that, like if that's like our whole goal or mission, maybe how does someone in a healthy church go from one to two? Well, it's cool. The Bible says this and Jerome actually touched on this last week in Ephesians 2, 8. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Everybody say faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing that is hearing the good news about Christ. So somebody prepares the meal, the message, they serve it up. You're eating of it. You're eating of it. And at some point through hearing the word of God, something clicks finally. And you put your faith in Jesus and you are transported from chair one to chair two, a non-believer to a new believer. And the way you do that is faith. But have you ever stopped and asked the question, what is faith? Have you ever come to church? And you're like, man, going through a hard time. And somebody's like, just have faith. And you're like, thanks, bro. <laughs> Like, I need money, not faith. Or, you know, like, whatever. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever just stopped and said, what is faith? Well, Pastor Jerome knocked it out of the park last week, and I'll just refresh you on that. It says in Romans 10, 17, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were committed for. So faith is confidence what we, in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. Now, this is a whole other sermon, but I'll just be honest with you. I don't know if any of us are confident in what we hope for and sure of what we don't see. If we're all honest, we're probably confident in what we have and we're sure in what we do see. Right. Like if I said sit in this chair or this one. How many of you would pick the chair you do see? But the Bible says faith is to be sure in what you don't see. That's crazy. That's insane. But this is one of the things that separates us from every other creature God created, this gift called faith. This is also the reason why a lot of us settle in life, because we're not confident in what we hope for. We're confident in what we have. So a lot of us are in toxic, awful relationships. But instead of getting out of that relationship and jumping into something that we hope for, we settle for what we have because that's all we're sure of. You could take a relationship. You can take a job. You can take it multiple places in life. Faith changes everything. Like faith is literally the ability to take things that are not and bring them into fruition. In Genesis chapter one, what's the first attribute we learn about God? Very first thing we learn about God, not that he's loving, not that he's kind, not that he's provider or protector, not that he's gracious. Genesis one, one in the beginning, God created. First thing we learn about God is he is creative. First thing we learn about God is he is a creative. Any creatives in the house? Musicians, graphic designers, all the above, right? Yeah, let's go. He's like, this is my church, right? The first thing we learn about God is he is creative. So if God is creative and then he made man out of dust, then he breathed his divine breath into man, made us in his image, then what should we be? Creative. And then he literally says, go and have dominion over all the earth. Change things, have dreams, and bring them to fruition. I would just ask, what dream has God put in your heart today? And are you working in faith to bring something that is not into reality? Like, that's what we are literally standing in people's faith right here. Redeemer didn't exist, what, five, ten years ago? Yeah, it didn't exist. It was literally a dream. It took faith. And now we're all standing in someone's dream. That's faith in action. I would just ask today, if you have made this leap, if you've already put your faith in Jesus, what are you putting your faith in now, yes, Jesus, but what dreams has he put in your heart? Again, this is what separates us from every animal in the animal kingdom. Like baboons aren't dreaming about ending climate change. They're just babooning, right? They're just eating and procreating. 
It's all they can do. Cows aren't thinking, how do I make the world a better place for my baby calf? They don't. Human beings are the only species God gave the ability to shape the entire planet to. To have dreams and bring them to fruition. What dreams has he given you today? So, anyways, I can go on and on that. So, chair number one, everybody say number one. Chair number two, everybody say number two. So, non-believer, new believer... The way you go from non-believer to new believer is you put your faith in Jesus and the fact that he is God's son, that he lived sinlessly, that he died sacrificially on the cross, that he rose victoriously from the grave, that he ascended into heaven. He's preparing a place for you and he's coming back. Amen. Like that's a lot of the gospel, if not all of it. But you just put your faith in that. And some of you are like, what's my move today? Well, if you're in chair number one, I would say the best move is to put your faith in Jesus and go from one to two. It's amazing. It's life changing. It's eternity changing. But then that takes us to chair number two. If chair number two is a new believer, the Bible actually describes chair number two people like this. Y'all going to like this. It's super complimentary. Not really, but we've all been there. It says in John chapter three, Jesus says you must be born again. First Peter chapter two says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave spirit pure spiritual milk so that you will grow in the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Hebrews 5.12 says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles, the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. The Bible says when you put your faith in Jesus and you go from chair one to chair two, non-believer to new believer, you are born again. If you are born, what does that make you? Ooh, biology in Tampa. Okay. Well, if you were born, what does that make you? A baby. So chair number two looks more like a high chair. Okay. Chair number two doesn't get a plate. They get more of a bottle. The Bible says we need milk. Now, here's the deal. How many of you were ever a baby? That's all. If you're not raising your hand, that's weird. <laughs> We've all been babies before, right? How many of you have had a baby? Any parents in the house? You've had a baby, right? Like, aren't babies beautiful? Like I, my brother just had my first nephew. I got to go down and hold him two months ago. And I mean, I see a baby and I just melt. I'm like, ah, baby, ah, this is amazing, right? Babies are beautiful. And newborn believers in faith are beautiful. Oh my gosh, we love them. That may be some of you. Maybe you gave your life to Christ back in Easter or, or Christmas or before. Like you're recently on this journey and we're so grateful. Babies are beautiful. But how many of you parents out there have had babies? Right. I've heard babies are a little messy. Right. Babies are messy, too. Right. You know, it's the same way in church. Babies are messy. What do babies sound like? Ah, right. Ah, ah, right. Feed me. Clothe me. I'm tired. I'm happy. I'm not right. Babies all about me. I, 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 you know, it's the same way in church. You know, it's the same way in church. It's easy to spot a new believer. And again, let me be clear. We love you if you're a new believer. You gave your life to Christ recently. We were all in this chair. If you've been saved, walking with Jesus for a minute, we've all been in this chair. We were all messy, nasty, creative, crazy babies. But babies are messy, and you can identify a baby so easy because they're just all about them. Like, this chair to this chair is like that, the adolescence. It's like the process of sanctification. And we'll get to chair number three in just one second. But I I just want to point this out. Have you ever heard somebody say, like, Man, I left that church because I, did, I, I didn't feel fed. You know who needs to be fed? A baby. That's who needs to be fed. Chair number three is for the maturing believer. 
I call it the maturing believer because none of us are mature. Like, none of us have arrived. Like, I am mature. If you think that, you're prideful and you're back in chair too, right? <laughs> but, but you know who needs to be fed? A, a baby. And that's okay. Like, we, we should. When we prepare the meal, we got to remember that, that there are babies here and we need to offer up some milk every week and not speak and preach over their heads. Like, that's part of it. But but as you step into that life of following Jesus and you start to mature into spiritual adolescence, you start to learn how to feed yourselves. You know, the role of a pastor is not to feed his sheep. If that were the case, the flock would be very small and malnourished because pastor is synonymous with shepherd. And if a shepherd had to pick the grass and put it in every sheep's mouth. That would be a malnourished flock. It's the shepherd's job to show the sheep where the food is. And then it's the sheep's job, if they are mature and grown, to bend down and eat. Amen? Maturing believers know how to feed themselves. Maturing believers. See, I'll just go in because it's Redeemer. I told you I can just like drop bombs and leave. Um, I think one of the grossest things in American Christianity is we have people that have been in the church and have been saved for two years, five years, 20 years, and they're still walking around with the spiritual umbilical cord attached. They still need somebody to feed them every Sunday, and they go Monday through Saturday spiritually malnourished as anything, and they come in on Sunday starving and selfish. And it's because they never take responsibility to grow in their own spiritual faith. Again, if you are a recent Chair one to chair two person, man, we're, we're going to teach you. We're going to lead you. This is where you start serving. You get in small groups. This is where that sanctification process comes in. I'm not bashing you. I'm bashing the rest of us <laughs> that act like baby. Like, again, you know, it's easy to identify a baby because, again, they're all about themselves, even teenagers. Sorry if you're a teen in the house. We were all you one time. We're all about ourselves. We're just selfish as babies and teenagers in church. This is what that sounds like. I don't like that church. Music's too loud. Music's too soft. Preacher preaches too long. Preacher preaches too short. They don't have enough parking. They have too much parking. Their kids' ministry is... What do you sound like? Ah, Right? If it's all about you, that's a self-evaluation that maybe you need to take a step of maturity in your faith. And I like Redeemer because I feel like I can call you out. And you're like, he loves us. So it's all in love. And because I really don't want to go three hours, I'll just... I'll try and wrap it. We got the teacher, leader, chair, prepare the meal. We got chair number one. Non-believer. Chair number two, new believer. That takes us to chair number three, the maturing believer. And I love this chair. I think there's so many of you here at Redeemer that sit in this chair every week. And can I just be clear? Like, this isn't a consistent thing. It's not like when you arrive to chair three, you're like, I am here forever. I wake up in chair two. It takes me an hour and a half and a cup of coffee to not be selfish you don't want to talk to me in the morning. You know what I mean? Like this, we bounce back and forth from these two chairs all the time, acting immature, mature, unsanctified, sanctified, looking like Jesus, looking like the devil, right? It's just. <laughs> but chair number three, people, I, I think this is kind of like a transient chair. I think in, in healthy churches, this chair often looks empty, but not because these people don't exist. I think this chair looks empty. It, it reminds me of my mom. Um, I grew up in a great family. I actually grew up in Pensacola, Florida. I'm from Florida. Yay, Florida. Um, we're a crazy state to the rest of the country. I found that out. They all think we're lunatics. Um, it's awesome. But I grew up in Pensacola and, um, I grew up, my mom and dad are still together this day to this day. And this illustration reminds me of just my mom and specifically like a a holiday, like at Thanksgiving or even like 4th of July, you know, my dad would sit at the head of the table 
you know, kind of like the patriarch of the family, you know, the provider, ah, you know, very traditional. He would sit at the head of the table. And yes, he would help my mom with the meal. But let's be honest, my mom did most of the cooking and all that. And, and we would all help set the table. Me, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. We would set the table together and then we would all sit down in our respective seats. My dad at the head of the table, the kids around the table. And my mom would sit down next to my dad and we would join hands and we would pray. And right when we prayed, when my dad would say amen, my mom would pop right up out of her chair. Like without fail. I was at Mitch, I was at y'all's house, Mitch's in-laws house last night. And your mama's the same way. I saw her. She just, but, but my mom would pop up out of the chair. Amen. And she would just be like, who needs some more sweet tea? Anybody need some more mashed potatoes? And she'd be going to the kitchen, back to the table, back to the kitchen. And my great-grandmama did this. My grandma does this. My mom did this. My sister does this. And now my niece does this. And to the point where we'd be sitting at the table and we'd be like, Mom, will you sit down? Will you join? She'd be like, I will, baby. I will. I will. I will. Just And everybody at the table would get like seconds. Some of us would get thirds. Chill out, Dad. Like, And we would we just like – and many of us would be done with our meal and we would be watching the football game. And then my mom would sit on the edge of her seat, and she'd just be nibbling at her food. I'll never forget it. It makes me emotional every time I think about it. She'd just be nibbling her food with the biggest smile on her face. Because chair number three people are the happiest when the table is full and everybody is fed. And chair number three people are busy serving the table. Because they understand it's not about me. It's never actually been about me. And there's something, the more mature you get, the more selfless you get. You, you can play and make it sound spiritual. Um, <laughs> it helps me wrap up. Unless you're Pentecostal, that means I got another 45. But you're not there yet at Redeemer. Um, yeah, if, if, if chair number one wears like the chef's hat... I think chair number three is constantly in one of these. They're just ready to tie one on every Sunday. Some of you giggled at that because you know what tie one on means. But, but they're just ready to serve. When I just think about like this, this, this season Redeemer is in, the summer serve, getting ready to, to make the move to a new righteous restaurant, a new tenacious table, a new location that God has given you to serve even more people. And I, and I just, I'm not trying to call anybody out today. I just want to call us up. Because I think some of us, like, we didn't realize that we may be sitting in chair two today. And, and so I'll just make it, I'll put it plain. Like, how do you know if you're in chair three? Well, if you're not serving, you're probably not in chair three. I'm not saying you got to show up at 6 a.m. every Sunday for the rest of your life. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, have you ever served a Redeemer? If you, if you consider this your church home. Like if you have once a month in the kids ministry, learn the tech stuff, be here to help set up. I mean, I'm just telling you, like there's a lot of places as a growing church with people dying and going to hell every day outside these walls. Like serving is, is like half the discipleship journey. Can I throw another one out there? Y'all loving this. I'm, I'm feeling the tension. This is fun. Again, I just get to leave. Good luck. If you're not giving, you're probably not in chair three. The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart is. If your heart is in the church, if your heart is with the bride of Christ, your local church. If you're not a part of Redeemer, that's cool. Go serve, go give at your local church. If you're just checking us out. But I would say whatever body of believers God has called you to, as you make your journey around the table, as you say yes to Jesus, as you 
follow Jesus in that process of discipleship and sanctification, like you start to serve. Why? Because he served. You start to give. Why? Because he gave. Like there's just marks. Like here's some simple ones. When we say yes to Jesus, the first thing he tells us to do is get baptized. That's step one. I've heard people say like, oh, yeah, I prayed the prayer, but I'm not ready to get baptized. That doesn't make any sense to me. Literally in the New Testament, people would say yes to Jesus. Like I love the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. He got saved in a chariot and then he literally saw a ditch on the side of the road. And he was like, there's water. Can I get baptized? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Can I just go a step further? Like you don't need a pastor to baptize you. How do we know that? The Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. My first time baptizing somebody was my sophomore year of college at an apartment complex pool. A guy in my small group gave his life to Christ, jumped in the water, and said, I need to get baptized. And so we, with like 40 other college students at UF, baptized the guy. Some of you today are in chair number two. Maybe you've been here for a few weeks, a few months, and you're going, man, what do I do next? Jump in some water. Like, we can make it happen today. We can schedule one. You can sign up. But just start taking those steps of obedience, and you will be baffled. Like, join a small group. That's another great way of getting community. Like, all these things go to further your life looking more and more like Jesus. And the crazy thing is, is like, like, the more and more you do this and you see this, and the more and more you get to sit in chair three, like, chair three are some of my favorite people because you know what? You know what chair number three people's crack cocaine is? This is Tampa. I can say crack cocaine, right? Um, you know what chair number three people are addicted to? Seeing chair number one people in church and watching chair number one people go from one to two. Like, chair number three people, when that chair number one unsaved person came and they've been inviting them at their workplace or that's at their barista and they invite them and they come, they're just like, oh my God, they're here, they're here, they're here today. We've got to get everything right, right? Like, not like, don't freak out on them, don't be weird, but inside, internally, chair three people are like, it's going to happen, today's the day. And then when Mitch, which Rome, one of the speakers, gives that salvation call and that chair number one person that you invited says yes to Jesus, chair number three people are like flipping tables. They're just like, whoa! Like, ah, somebody just went from death to life. They're going from hell to, I mean, that is everything. And chair number three, people get it because they remember what it was like for them. We were all in this chair. And here's where I landed. I know I've said that five times. When we're preparing a Sunday at Redeemer, when we're thinking about a series, when we're picking out the songs, paint color, everything, if we were going to prioritize one chair over the others which one would it be here's what I think this is just a premise I would propose chair number two it's a new believer they're messy but they're saved they're going to be in heaven chair number three maturing believer partner let's go they're saved they're in heaven but for chair number one every Sunday it's life death heaven or hell so if we're, when we're preparing a message Mitch can talk over all of our heads. He is theologically trained. He knows what he's talking about. If you have a profession, if you're a car salesman, you should be able to talk about cars better than me. If you're a nurse, you should be able to talk about medicine better than me. He can talk about the Bible better than all of us. But it's his job not to talk over our heads every Sunday because he's got to remember chair number one people are in the room. And we've got to make it down for him. Sometimes it's chair number three. We're like, oh, that sermon didn't feel deep enough. First off, all rescues happen in the deep end. The deepest thing you can do as a believer is see somebody get saved. Not talk Calvinism and Arminianism and the doctrine of sanctification. Those things are great, but they're not deep. Salvation is deep. 
a second, if it didn't feel like it was deep enough, maybe it wasn't for you. Maybe it was for them. And maybe you're here for them too. Amen? Y'all feeling me? And my, I'm so excited for you guys as God is blessing you with a new table to see what God does in and through you with that. I have so much more I could say on this, but I see the kids' ministry people coming back and forth. They're like, we're going to kill Corey. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray over the table that is Redeemer. And then we still going to sing one more song? Awesome. Here's the last thing I'll throw out. Chat number three people are worshipers. Chat number three people get it. That he deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, all the time. And when we do that, he's so good to us. He reciprocates his glory in our lives. So can we do this? Can we stand together, church family? And let me pray for us.